Built for discipleship. Built for discipleship. For a couple years now, our church family, we've been hearing we're about discipleship. Our pulpit chairman has been saying that discipleship is a central theme of our church. And perhaps you've been sitting there thinking, well, how's this going to happen? How's discipleship happening here at Evergreen Church? And the church is the most prized possession of God himself. After all, God himself died for the church. So we need to make sure we take care of his church in the way he's called us to. There are many metaphors in the Bible for the church. And all of them communicate extreme value and worth. Think about it. The family of God. The flock of God. The bride of Christ. The body of Christ. Extreme value. We're going to center in and zero in on a metaphor that the Bible uses to describe the church. We're going to use the temple of God as the church. And this is the, this is the metaphor. This is a picture of how God describes the church. And Jesus is building his church. He has been since he left. And he's coming back brick by brick. Jesus Christ is building his church person by person, one soul at a time. He's placing his people to be connected to him and to one another. Jesus Christ is building his church globally, universally around the world, but also locally. And we're going to talk about how Christ is building his church here at Evergreen Church. How is Jesus doing this? Therefore, we're having a series called Built for Discipleship. And just a little bit of background on this. This is something that our staff has been going through. We went on a staff retreat at the top of 2020 to visit some brothers at, uh, uh, in Murrieta. Chris Mueller, John Plesnick, their elders, talked to us about how they disciple their church. We've been presenting to the board. We've been presenting to anyone who's willing to listen. I've visited branches through PowerPoint and through Zoom about how discipleship's going to take place. Now, for a couple months now, we're going to come together as a church family. We're all going to be able to hear, what is Jesus Christ doing at Evergreen? This is what you, we want to know. And, and this is a topical exposition. What does this mean? We went through Corinthians, and that's a sequential exposition. What does that mean? We go chapter by chapter, verse by verse, and we just simply march down all of Corinthians till we get to the end like we did last week. A topical exposition is we're going to find different verses from different parts of the New Testament and the Old Testament to teach on what does Jesus mean by how he will build his church. And I believe that Jesus builds his church through discipleship. This is what he's made clear in the scriptures, and we're going to go point by point on how he's doing it. And I believe that, Jesus, that Evergreen is the absolute goldmine for discipleship. I mean, God's given us great people. It's always about the people. It's about Christ and his people. He's happened to give us incredible resources. He strategically located us right in the middle of the San Gabriel Valley. So many things that Christ has been doing already. And so the goal is this, how, is to understand how is Jesus Christ discipling Evergreen Church? And for all of us to be clear about this, all of us to be on the same page, for the sermon series to unify our hearts and minds so that we're together, so that at the end of a couple months, we'll be very clear what we're about and who we're about. 
And my hope is that this will build conviction for your home here at Evergreen Church. It's my hope. And perhaps you've been dating your girlfriend for some time, you know, and perhaps people are saying, now it's time to ask the question, right? Perhaps you've been renting your home. Maybe perhaps it's time to buy that home. Perhaps you feel like you're kind of in a potted plant. Perhaps it's time to be planted into the dirt and to have your roots go deep into where you're at. And so this is the hope that you, this conviction comes to you. This conviction is clear. This is exactly what I've been looking for. This is exact, exactly what I've been praying for. More important, this is exactly what I see in the scriptures. This is a foundational, this is a very pivotal series, and I'm pretty fired up to be able to preach this to you. And the hope is this, that God, through the preaching of his word, through the saints, he will develop a strong and loving discipleship culture here at Evergreen that will be building and building and building until the Lord returns. That's the hope, that we'll have a strong and loving discipleship culture here at Evergreen Church. Now you receive these, this, the series, sermon series diagram, and what an amazing thing. We've got a great team, Irene and Garrett and all the pastors. We all kind of chipped in into either the design or the wording. We even asked some lay people to help us with the wording. Take that out if you can and keep it. Keep it with you. This is for you to look at. This is kind of a roadmap of where we're heading for the next couple months. This is a roadmap of where we're heading for the next couple years. This is a roadmap perhaps of where we're heading for the next couple of decades. Right? This is where we're headed, and this is, a, this is where we're going to take block by block by block by block and explain sermon by sermon by sermon through the Scriptures on each phase of discipleship and how the Lord is doing it here at Evergreen. And just an overview, we're going to start off with the foundation today. Foundation, we are about Christ. It all starts with Christ. It all flows from Christ. Christ is the one we love. Christ is the one we obey. Christ is the one we want to become like. He's the one we follow. He's the one that gives us our marching orders of discipleship. It starts with Jesus Christ. We need to get the foundation correct. Secondly, the central theme is about discipleship. This is the common thread that goes through everything that we do at Evergreen, every program, every ministry, why we teach the Bible, why we have fellowship, why we are involved in life groups and other things, why we even serve is about discipleship. This is the common thread that will go through every single thing that we do at, at Evergreen Church. The next tier is about discipleship essentials. Discipleship essentials are, think about essential building blocks, meaning you need God's word, we need uh, Christian fellowship, we need to be committed to a local body, we need to be strong and growing in prayer to grow as a disciple of Christ. These are the basic food groups for any Christian. We need to feed on these four basic essentials. And at Evergreen Church, we're committed to ministering these things to every single one who considers Evergreen Church their home. And then the next year is discipleship church life. This is where these essentials or these building blocks are going to be ministered to you. The Lord's Day service, that's what we're involved in right now. Corporate worship. Equipping, ACE, that's what we're talking about for the last couple months. It's amazing to see we have roughly over 100 people involved. That's phenomenal. The Lord is doing an amazing movement. I'm so excited that you're, you're joining. And if you're on the fence about joining, please join. 
Please pick one of the four classes and join. This is a pivotal part of our discipleship experience. Thirdly, life groups. This is things such as branches, youth group, college group. We're looking to develop a harvesters or seniors group, young adults, ministries, moms groups. This is what we started on this past Friday. This is where we're going to learn to minister the word to one another in a life-on-life type of relationship to hopefully form informal discipleship that takes place. And then fourthly, serving, serving opportunities. God calls every single Christian to serve in the church. What are your gifts? How can you serve? How can you help build what Christ is doing? And in the next tier, the final tier is discipleship goals. The fruit of what we hope to see is evangelism, evangelizing the lost with the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ, and then edification, edifying, building up other Christians. This is what, the, what we hope to see happen here at Evergreen Church for years and decades to come. And then finally, we hope to be true worshipers because we know Christ so well through the word, through fellowship, through commitment, through prayer. So since we've been well fed and equipped, we have a clear idea who Jesus is. And we, how can you not worship him when you know him like that? Right, so this is the, kind of a roadmap, and this is a quick overview of where we're headed, but we're going to try to focus on a block a week, a block a week. This is what we're looking to do, and as we uh, uh, navigate down this sermon series for the next couple of months, we're committed to this. So today's sermon is called, We Are About Christ, Our Foundation. And that diagram, as you looked at it, perhaps this popped into your mind, perhaps it didn't, but for me, it reminds me of a huge skyscraper, you got the base and you just keep going up and up and up and up. It's an arrow as if it just keeps going up. I've got a question for you. What is the tallest skyscraper in the world? Where is that at? Do you know where that is? The tallest skyscraper. For years, it was the Empire State Building. And then the Sears Tower in Chicago. But the other parts of the world have caught up and they've passed this. So the, the, the tallest skyscraper on the planet is in a city called Dubai in, a, um, in, the, in the Middle East. The Burj Khalifa is the name of this building, Burj Khalifa. And in 2010, it was erected. It took six years to build, six years. And at a bargain price at $1.5 billion. That's a bargain. Why do I say that? Because SoFi Stadium our Rams played play cost five billion dollars for a stadium. My goodness, one point five—that's a bargain for the tallest building in the world. And the height of this incredible structure is two thousand seven hundred and twenty-three feet. Two thousand seven hundred twenty-three feet. Two hundred nine floors. It's tall. To give you a little context, the Wilshire Grand, which is, you know, in L.A. Live, right by the Staples Center, they got a huge hotel and office space there called the Wilshire Grand. That's 1,100 feet tall. 1,100 feet. And, and the Wilshire Grand is the tallest building west of the Mississippi. This is a significant structure as well. But this Burj Khalifa is over twice as tall. And the goal of the builders why they want to build such a thing in Dubai was to attract tourists. And it attracts 1.8 million tourists annually. 1.8 million people come to visit this building. And the, when the people come, they're in awe. Oh, my goodness, look how tall this is. And most of the people that come focus in on what's above the ground. 
They see the height, of course. They see the special glass. They see the various uh, terraces. They see the, uh, an amazing uh, fireworks show that they've done before for New Year's. It, it, it's, it's amazing. It's a sight to be seen. And people are left in awe. However, what's most important is what you can't see. What's underground? The foundation is the most important to support 2,700 feet of concrete and steel. And the engineers designed a Y-shaped foundation, a Y-shaped foundation, and it's built into the bedrock. They dug deep. They dug deep through through the sand and the soil, and they got to the place called the bedrock. Bedrock is lithified rock where the pressure of the earth creates a solid piece of rock. And this is where the engineers have built. They dug deep. And this is the most critical element in building anything, particularly a skyscraper. You have to know how to get to the bedrock and where the bedrock is. Because without the bedrock, all 2,700 feet of this building is going to come tumbling down. Similar to buildings, the church. The church. Most people look at what's on the surface. Most people notice the attendance. Most people notice the building and the campus. Most people uh, take a look at how the finances of the church are doing, finances. Most people look at what kind of programs are offered in the church. Most people focus on what kind of Sunday service style do you have? Is it contemporary? Is it more traditional? Is it high church? What is it like? Do they play a piano? What kind of music do they have? And these are important things. These are important things. But this is not the most important thing in the life of the church. The foundation of the church is the most critical. So before we even talk about what we're going to do and how we're going to do it, we need to spend some time speaking on the foundation. Jesus Christ himself. We will begin our series about, with us talking about how and why we are about Christ. This is what we're talking about. We are about Christ. And Matthew 16 is where we're going to uh, preach out of this week. We're going to exposit this uh, Matthew 16 and uh, verse 18. But So if you have your Bibles, let's turn to Matthew 16. This is the first book in the New Testament, chapter 16. And we're going to preach on verse 18. But I'm going to back up to verse 13 to provide a little context. So let's rise as we read the, the Word of God together. Matthew 16. Let's learn more about the foundation of the church. Verse 13, for a little bit of context. Now, when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he was asking his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist and others Elijah, but still others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? Who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Christ the son of the living God. And Jesus said to him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my father who is in heaven. I also say to you that you are Peter and upon this rock, I will build my church and the gates of Hades or hell will not overpower it. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this word. Thank you for this bedrock promise that you are building your church. Help us to understand what you're saying through through the scriptures. I pray your spirit will allow me to preach your word faithfully. I pray your spirit will allow us to see your son more clearly today. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Please have a seat. 
Three points I want to give you ahead of time. The headings for this sermon are, why are we about Christ? We are about Christ because he is our cornerstone, number one. Number two, he's our chief builder, cornerstone, chief builder. Thirdly, why are we about Christ? We're about Christ because he's our champion, champion. Don't worry, we'll be able to go through these more in depth, point by point, but I just wanted to give you landing lights so you know where we're headed here. Point number one, we are about Christ because Jesus is the church's cornerstone, fill in the blank, cornerstone, cornerstone. Verse 18, let me read that again. I say, I also say to you that you are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church. Upon this rock, what does Jesus Christ mean by upon this rock. Well, let's, let's go to the original language. Is he speaking about Peter, the disciple? Well, Peter in the original language is Petros. Petros, I had a teammate named Petros at one time. Pe- Petros means small pebble, small pebble. But when he talks about upon this rock in the original language, it's Petra, Petra, which means massive bedrock, it means massive bedrock, more than a pebble. It's a massive bedrock. And let's go deeper into the context. What does he mean, upon this rock? Verse 13 and 14 of Matthew 16, he asked the disciples, who do people say that I am? And in that sense, they said, they think that you're a prophet, like John the Baptist or Elijah or Jeremiah, a truth speaker from God. All right? That's what popular opinion says. But Peter inspired by God himself, is asked, along with the disciples, who do you see that I am? This is test time for the disciples. And Peter responds with a supernatural answer and says, you are the Christ. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. The Son of the living God. And Jesus says to him, you didn't figure this out on your own, Peter. God from above revealed this to you and that you're inspired to say this truth. This is the bedrock that Jesus built his church upon, the truth of who Jesus Christ is. He is the truth. He is the rock. He is the cornerstone that the church is built upon. And let's just break this down. Pastor Candy did a great job of the Christ, right? He talked to children. He talked about what the Christ is. Christ is not somebody's last name. This is not Jesus' last name, but this is a title, a title of someone that would come to deliver the people, the anointed one. Christ is the Greek word Christos for Messiah, the Messiah, the Savior, the Deliverer, the Redeemer. So Jesus Christ, he's basically saying, Jesus, you're the Savior. All right? And he doesn't stop there. Peter goes on saying, you are the Son of the living God. What does that mean? What Peter means is you're a God himself. You're a divine being. You're the eternal one. Who created everything. Jesus, you're God. Not only are you Savior, you're God. This is who Peter is saying. This is an earth-shattering confession that Peter makes. This confession has been echoing through for 2,000 years and it's rocked people's worlds, including you and me who are in Christ. You are the Savior. You're God, Peter is saying. And if we were even unsure about this, 2 Peter 1.1, 1, 1, Peter calls Jesus our God and Savior. Peter is very clear about who Jesus is. So the rock is the foundation of the church. The church is built upon the bedrock 
of who Jesus Christ is. And Jesus is Savior and Lord. That truth is the foundation of our church. Some cross-referencing. So we did some uh, language in the original studies. We did some immediate context. We backed up a few verses from verse 18. And then let's do some cross-referencing. Paul, the apostle, in 1 Corinthians 3.11, calls Jesus the foundation. In Ephesians 2.20, Paul says that the church is built upon the foundations of the apostles and the prophets, Christ Jesus being the cornerstone. So he adds a little bit more detail, basically... All the teachings of the apostles and the prophets are pointing towards the person of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the cornerstone. He sets the foundation. He squares the building. All the truths written and spoken by the apostles and the prophets are set in relation to the fact that Jesus Christ is Lord and Savior. Jesus Christ says this in uh, John 5.39, that all the scriptures testify about him. The scriptures testify about him. The Bible is about Christ. It all points to Jesus Christ. He's our foundation. Christ must be the cornerstone and be at the center of our lives individually, but also corporately as a church. Let me ask you a question today. Many of us have been here for many years. You know, Pastor Kenny says he's been on staff for a long time, right? <laughs> so we've all been here for a long time, some of us. Some of us are brand new. Perhaps you've been invited by a guest, uh, to be a guest of one of your friends. That's great. But this one question you need to answer for yourself today before you and God. All right, I'm going to ask this question for us here. Have you submitted to the truth of who Jesus Christ is? Have you done that? Let me just go over point, two points here for that question. Is Jesus your Savior? Have you trusted in the death and resurrection for the forgiveness of your sins? Have you trusted that Christ did this and he resurrected for your sins? Do you believe that Jesus Christ saves you by grace, not on your own merits, but you get what you don't deserve? You get forgiveness and and you get to be considered his son and daughters of God. Number two, Is Jesus Christ your Lord? Not just Savior, but Lord. Lord. What does that mean? That means I live to please him. All my ambitions are set and squared by the cornerstone himself, Jesus Christ. I call him Lord, therefore I obey him. Is he your Lord? If you only submitted to him for half of this truth of who he is, He's not the cornerstone of your life. Jesus Christ is Lord and Savior. This is something that we must come to terms with. And the church is built one brick at a time. You heard me say it earlier. One person at a time. Every single person matters. Every single piece matters. You have a space and a slot in the church. Every soul matters to the head to the head builder. Therefore, as a church family, we need to be committed to proclaiming the gospel. In essence, the cornerstone is the gospel message of Jesus Christ. He is Lord and Savior. 
We need to be committed to preaching the gospel corporately, but also individually in your private lives. We're all part of this building project. Since you are built on the cornerstone, this is the message of your life. We have no other message. Adrian Smith, Adrian Smith, who's Adrian Smith? Adrian Smith is the chief architect of this Burj Khalifa, this massive building, and he's a master architect. He's actually helped set the blueprint and design for many of the world's largest and tallest buildings in the world. This guy's amazing. And he and his team has designed a blueprint to build this massive structure in Dubai. In essence, this blueprint coordinated 12,000 workers 12,000 workers, 22 million man hours. Can you imagine that? 22 million uh, uh, man hours. A record usage of 330,000 330, cubic meters of concrete. 39,000 tons of steel. I mean, this is a, quite an endeavor. And this blueprint help coordinate every single person, every single element to build this uh, incredible structure. Jesus Christ is the architect of his church, and he has a blueprint. He has a blueprint. He tells us how to build his church, and he's the one building it, and he coordinates every single Christian to get involved, right? Jesus Christ has his blueprint. And so we're going to get to our second point to talk about this blueprint here. We're about Christ because, number one, Jesus is our cornerstone, but we're about Christ because, number two, Jesus is the chief, church's chief builder, chief builder. Jesus says, I will build my church upon this rock. I will build my church. A promise that we can hold on to no matter what's going on in life. Jesus is actively building his church. What a comforting promise. No matter how hard it gets, no matter how challenging it may seem, Jesus Christ has never stopped building his church. He's building his church right now, universally and locally. And we get to be a part of a church, ecclesia. This, in essence, this word just means called out ones. Called out ones. It's, he's gathering his people. He's calling his people to gather and to be part of his church. This is amazing to join him and other Christians to be part of the big global church, but at the local church level. And he has been calling saints to Evergreen Church. It's been super encouraging to see. And he says, it's my church. Not Rocky's church or your church. My church is Jesus' church. So Evergreen is Jesus' church. It's not my church. It's not your church. Jesus' church. He's the architect. He's the chief builder. He's the owner. He's the financer. He's the one doing it. And what is the purpose of the church? Well, just like this incredible structure, the Burj Khalifa, which basically means Khalifa's tower. This is a president of uh, uh, the UAE, United Arab Emirates. Khalifa's tower, the reason why they built Khalifa's tower is to shine the glory of Dubai. This is a big-time city that could compete with all the big-time cities in the world to attract tourists to come. And they accomplished that goal. I told, I told you 1.8 million people come to Dubai every year to see this building. 
to attract and draw millions. What is the church's purpose? Well, this is Christ's church. The church's purpose is shine the glory of Christ. To draw all men to himself. This is the purpose of the church, to look like him, to glorify him, to make him look good, so that people, men and women from all tribes, tongues, and nations, will be attracted to him, to be drawn to him. Christ is the head of the church, and we glorify Christ by looking like him. And we do this by following his blueprint. All right? And so what's Christ's blueprint? Pastor, where do we find Christ's blueprint? Well, let me read you a quote from the great reformer, John Calvin himself. John Calvin writes, Christ reigns, you know, as the head of the church, Christ reigns whenever he subdues the world to himself by the preaching of his word. Christ reigns whenever he subdues the world to himself by the preaching of his word. In other words, Whenever God's word is central to the church, Jesus rules the church and it becomes his church. It becomes my church, meaning Jesus' church. By doing it his way, following his blueprint. The Bible, the Bible, the Bible's central. And whenever God's word is not central, something, some other blueprint rules. And a different type of building is erected and built. In the Central Valley, a place like Fresno, California, I did a little research, so thank you. And um, you could dig a couple feet deep into the ground. And you hit something hard. And this, this substance, this level is called the hard pan. Hard pan is basically compressed clay. And a novice builder will go like, we hit it. We hit, paint. We hit uh, the bedrock. Let's get the equipment. Let's start building the building. Let's do it. We hit it. Because it feels like bedrock. Looks like bedrock, sounds like bedrock, but it's not bedrock. It's not bedrock. The problem is this, it's hard. It's hard. It's hard like bedrock. But the more you drill into the bedrock, into this uh, hard pan, it gets softer and weaker. This was very deceptive. You think you found the right foundation and all of a sudden you start building onto this hard pan and then you're building on sand, you realize. In the church, in the church, I've been studying on this globally and locally as well, but there are hard pans in the church. Oftentimes the world creeps in to the church. We rely on worldly wisdom. We're influenced by the culture of the world. We, we want to act and sound and think like the world. We act like we're trying to fit in or something. Worldly concerns dominate our thoughts. Pragmatism drives the church. In other words, what works, what's going to pay the bills, what's going to get people into the building, what's going to make us look good, not Christ look good. A light and shallow commitment to the Bible happens. And the net result is you're building on something else other than Christ. Feels like Christ looks like Christ to some levels because we, we carry a Bible, we pray, sounds like Christ, we may even sing good music. And then you say, you know what? I'm going to build my life on this thing. But it's not the real Christ, it's the veneer of Christ. It's just, it just has paint of Christ on, on the outside of this foundation. 
Some things that I've discovered that some people have built their lives upon who claim to say, Lord, Lord. Perhaps you follow a moralistic Jesus. I'm here at church to be a good person. Perhaps you're building your life on prosperity, Jesus. Jesus, help me to have a great marriage. Help me to raise great kids. Help me to do well in school. Help me to do well in my career. Help me to be physically healthy. Perhaps you've built your life on a pragmatic Jesus. I want to be a wise person. I want to live my life winsomely. Perhaps you've trusted in a psychological Jesus. I just want to feel better about myself. I'm just bombarded with negativity. I just want to feel better about myself. Perhaps this is a, you've trusted in a friend group Jesus where I want to be part of a comfortable community where I'm known and people are nice to me and I'm nice. I get to be nice to them. Lately, I've hear, heard a lot about a political Jesus, you know, as if this government is going to last forever. If these things are the primary reasons to be a part of the local church, for you right now, just think about this. I want you to really think hard about this. And these things are not bad things. They're just not the ultimate things, right? Christ's church is not gathered. A different type of gathering takes place. This is not the ecclesia of Christ. This is not the gathering for Christ. Think about this, friends, brothers and sisters. What non-believer, think with me now. Think of your non-believing friends. What non-believer doesn't want to be a good person? Even the media is promoting to, let's be loving to one another. That'll fit in with the world. I just want to be a loving person. What non-believer doesn't want to be a successful person, have a good family, run a good business. Who doesn't want that? What non-believer doesn't want to be wise, be thoughtful? What non-believer doesn't want to be surrounded by other good people who treat them well? Right? Who doesn't want that? Or to feel better about yourself. So we may use Christian words, do Christian activities, but it's not about Christ. We need to be about Christ in no unclear terms. When these Perhaps sad situation where these don't get what they want. They have unmet expectations. Sadly, many just leave. Sadly, many just leave. Pretty sad. And the key is this, church family. Listen to me. We need to break through the hard pan. We can't just be settled and happy at the surface of Christ. We need to go deeper and deeper and deeper until we hit the bedrock, until we know what we're looking for. We can't be novice builders. We have to know what we're looking for. Matthew 7, Brother Albert Chong read Matthew 7, 24 to 27. I think this is a great illustration for us to follow. I'm going to read this for us. Matthew 7, just turn to your left a few pages. Says 20, verse 24 says this, Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them may be compared to a wise man who built his house on the rock, Petra, same word, bedrock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and slammed against the house and yet it did not fall. Why? For it had been founded on the Petra, the bedrock. Verse 26, everyone who hears these words of mine, the issue is not hearing the word of Christ, but the issue is this, and does not act on them will be a foolish man who built his house on the sand the topsoil, the hard pen. 
The rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and slammed against that house and it was it, and it fell and great was its fall. What does it mean to build upon the rock? Number one, we have to know the word. We have to know the word. We can't have a light treatment of the Bible. That's why we're focusing on things such as equipping. That's why we're committed to expository preaching. That's why I'm exhorting every single man and woman and child to be part of the Sunday school hour. Let's go deeper. Let's go deeper into his word. Let's dig deep with one another. And you have committed men who are going to try to help you understand the word of God and to know Christ better. Remember, it's not just to get a bunch of head knowledge and biblical data into our mind. It's to know Christ. It's to know him more. And the more you know him, the more you trust in him. Luke 6, 48, a parallel passage to this a parable of building a house on this rock in the sand, says that the wise man dug deep. He went deep. He kept digging and digging and digging and digging in until he hit the bedrock. We need to go deep, and we need to go deep into his words so that we grow in our relationship with Jesus. It's really ultimately how deep is your relationship with Christ? Do you love him? Do you trust him? Is he more just in a concept that says he saves me? The bedrock, unlike the hard pan, this is the difference between bedrock and hard pan. The more you drill, the deeper you go into the bedrock. Guess what happens? The harder the bedrock gets, the stronger it gets. The deeper you press into Christ, the stronger your relationship is going to be with him, the greater the trust you have in him. This is how this works. And as, as Matthew says, who hears these words of mine and acts on them will be the wise man who built his house on the rock. Then you'll be able to trust him enough to obey him. Obedience is a fruit of conversion because you know the one who you trust in. Obedience isn't some kind of legalistic thing where I'm just going to obey him. I don't want to, but I'm just going to do it. It's because you have a heart connection to the, the one who made you. You have a heart connection to the one who created everything by the spoken word. Therefore, I may not quite understand. I may be getting socked in the face or in the ribcage of life, but I'm going to do your way, Lord, because you know him. You've gone deep into relationship with him. Relationship. Relationship. Let's get to our third and final point here. We're about Christ because Jesus is our cornerstone. We're about Christ because Jesus is our chief build. And thirdly, finally, we are about Christ because Jesus is the church's champion. Champion. Fill in the blank. Champion. Going back to uh, chapter 16 here, of verse 18. It says, And the gates of Hades or hell will not overpower it. The gates of Hades or hell will not overpower it. What does that mean? What in the world does that mean? Well, let's just kind of reference that old, uh, that parable that we just went over. Matthew 7, 24 to 27. I'm just going to highlight some of the, the points of that story again. There's one huge storm. One huge storm. Two results. One house stood. The other house collapsed. All right? Skyscrapers are designed to withstand 100-mile-hour winds. That high, you get 100-mile-hour winds. 
Skyscrapers are designed to withstand storms, earthquakes, hurricanes, anything of nature it's supposed to withstand. This is what they're designed to do. Twenty years ago yesterday, the most horrific attack happened on our U.S. soil. We all know it. Whoever's old enough to understand what happened, you never forget the day that you found out what happened. Where were you when they found out about 9-11? Were you getting ready for work, at work, getting ready for school, maybe on vacation? Where were you? For me, I was 25 years old, single, still living at home. I was a graduate assistant. I got in my Nissan pickup truck, and I was heading down to campus. Got on the 10 freeway, 10, 10 west. It was still dark. It was early in the morning, and we had a big game ahead of us. Oof, we had the game plan, and I had hours of film study ahead of me. I was fired up. We were going to take down this opponent. And I turned on the radio, and something to the effect of a plane crash into a building. I'm like, all right, it must have been an accident, unfortunate accident, perhaps something from El Monte Airport. One of those prop planes must have landed into a building. That's too bad. I just keep going. I park my truck, get into the office, and all of a sudden the televisions are on. Oh, my goodness. It hit me right between the eyes. It's way worse than I thought. It was more horrific than I could have imagined. Two commercial liners plunged themselves into the Twin Towers in New York. These great skyscrapers, symbols of our power, symbols of, our, of, the, of the greatness of New York and our, our, our financial status. These planes land and they kept showing the replays over and over and over. And we later on, we find out a plane has landed, uh, crashed into the Pentagon. Another one on the ground someplace. It was way more horrifying than I thought. We're under attack. But praise God, we're able to heal and move forward. That's 20 years ago. But 20 years later, we found new storms. Storms are always looming around the horizon. We know this. New variants of COVID, right? Right when we thought COVID's over, okay, there could be some new variants. Perhaps that captures your mind. Wars, rumors of wars. Terrorists are getting uh, equipment, military equipment, diseases, economic issues, social issues, riots. I mean, that's just a part of life. Particularly if you grew up in L.A., if you experienced all that. But the storm in Matthew 7, this parable that Jesus tells, is much more severe than what any of us can imagine. It's more severe than 9-11 or COVID-19. The storm is death and judgment. God's wrath towards unforgiven sinners is coming. It's coming. Let me read you this uh, quote by James Montgomery Boyce, a preacher. He writes, Building on Christ's word will also save you in death. And for, for that is what, is what escaping the storm's destruction actually means. This is not merely a matter of finding something that you will get you through life fit to stand against the slings and arrows of outrageous fortune. It is a matter of standing upright at the final judgment and not being carried off to hell by God's verdict and command. This is the storm that's coming. 
Are you built to withstand this storm? As you're just sitting there right now, casually or attentive, are you built to withstand this storm? So what is the gates of Hades? What, what is that? Gates are meant to keep people out or in. The gates of death, the prison of death. Have, you been unlo- have, have the gates of Hades been unlocked for you so you can, you're freed from the death that's awaiting sinners, spiritual death? So when it says the gates of Hades will not overpower it, the church, if you're in Christ, there's no way these gates are going to keep you in there. You're free. You're free. Can you say, as we learned in Corinthians 15, 55, oh, death, where is your sting? Can you say that? Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? Are you saying this? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is our champion. He's given us victory. Do you believe this? I hope this is clear, church family, why individually, but also corporately, we need to be about Christ. This is the foundation of our lives. And in conclusion, church family, isn't it super comforting to know that we are secure in Christ? Isn't that super comforting? Because I know many of us are saying, amen, he is my Savior, amen, he is my Lord, amen, he is my cornerstone, amen, I submit to his word, he is my chief builder. Amen. He's my champion. I know many of us are saying that. Isn't that super comforting as we talk about so many scary things that we're able to escape? And isn't it clear that other foundations are just sandy ground? Everything else is sandy ground. And they're sandy ground because our problems are bigger than living as good people. Our problems are bigger than living as wise people. Our problems are bigger than secure and comfort and ease in this life. Our problems are bigger than having a good family even. Our problems are bigger than having a comfortable community to hang out with. Kids, our problems are bigger than just pleasing our parents even. This faith has to be your own. You have to know who Jesus Christ is for yourself. Your mom or dad is not going to be holding your hand at the gates as you sit before the judge. It's going to be you and Jesus Christ in that moment. But this, these words will be reminded in your mind, in your heart, in that day. Because this is Christ's words. Children, take seriously what your parents are teaching you. Take seriously the preaching of the word of God. If you're able to understand this, you will be held accountable for this. Our problems are bigger than these things. Our problems, our problem is with God himself. The only way to withstand this coming storm is to avoid it through Christ. No one's able to withstand this storm. Because unless you're in Christ, in Christ alone. Let me read you some things here, what we're about to sing in a moment. In Christ alone, my hope is found. He is my light, my strength, my song. This cornerstone, this solid ground. Firm through the fiercest drought and storm. No power of hell, no scheme of man can ever pluck me from his hand till he returns or calls me home. Here in the power of Christ, I'll stand. This church family is why we're in Christ. This is why we're all about Christ. 
And this is why we're built for discipleship. Amen? Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this time to preach your son, Jesus Christ. Thank you, Jesus, that you are our rock, our cornerstone. Thank you, Jesus, that you are our chief builder. You're building us individually, but also the church as a whole. Jesus, we know you care about your church so much. Thank you for dying for your church. Thank you for saving your church. Thank you for cleaning off your church. Thank you for walking with your church. Thank you for polishing off your church right now. Thank you for your words that gives us understanding of what you're doing. Lord, I pray by the power of your Holy Spirit, we'll be able able to respond. If there's anyone in here who has not built their life upon the cornerstone, you, Jesus, I pray they'll respond by repenting and turning to you and trusting you, Jesus, as their Lord and Savior. I pray, Lord, that if there's anyone who's done this, who's committed their lives to you, but they know there's more growth like all of us, they'll commit to following you more, going deeper into your word, going deeper into relationship with you, going deeper into obedience to your word. Father, I pray for Evergreen Church that we will truly be about Christ and we'll be able to look each other in the eye and more important, look you in the eye and say, we are about you, Jesus. So thank you, Father, for this time to preach your word. I pray, Lord, that your word would just take deep roots, deep foundations into our hearts. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.